0: You are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page, Like Us, and Facebook group page to become a member Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610 AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting soundcloud.com and at iTunes, podcasts under Arts, and search Mediation Station. We have a Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation, so please follow us. Our topic tonight is called Untying the Knot, How Untangling Affects Mediation, with our visitor, Mary Ann Popescu, and she'll be with us shortly. I'm looking across through the glass here, and I know I see Marianne, and for sure, I recognize her. Someone else, I'm not sure. They unlock the door here. She come through the window like she originally did. Who is that?
1: I don't know. Do you recognize my voice?
0: Uh, you know, I have to close my eyes.
1: Close and let your my, eyes. And let my
0: mind wander.
1: And and um, I'll just say, Yodala, I'm back.
0: Oh, it's Elfie.
1: Elfie's here. I'm back. You know, life kind of, what? Kind of, you know, got hectic for a while there oh. on Sunday evenings.
0: Meaning so. you had uh, priorities that were not part no. of this uh, program.
1: You know, sometimes I have to um, direct my attention to other things for a while, and but you know, I'm 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 always going to come back like a bad meal. Or a boomerang. <laughs> or you hit me in the head? You can never, you can't get rid of me that easily, my well. Oh,
0: well, we uh, appreciate it, you know.
1: And I'm really happy to be back, especially with Marianne here. That's uh, an added bonus for me.
0: Thanks, Joni. So, you know, we've changed the uh, topic for tonight. We have? Yeah, exposing the truth. Exposing <laughs> the truth. Doing mediation au naturel. I
1: love it. Oh, dear. I love it. I, the less closed, the better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's,
0: who's turning red here?
2: Ah, the old switcheroo. Ah. I, I really loved our original topic. It's fantastic.
0: The one called... Untying the knot.
2: Untying the knot.
0: It is really cool. Uh, how untangling yeah. cool. affects mediation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. Good, yeah. It's a cool title. Yeah, yeah.
1: I really I really liked it.
2: I, I was speaking to our president uh, of the OFM, Jennifer Suzer, on my way here, and um, she gave me a really nice quote, which was, "Don't cut what you can untie." Right. And I thought. Oh, it's lovely. I was going to give her credit for it, but then she told me someone brilliant said it. So I'm not sure who said that, but it was a a lovely thought coming into tonight's.
0: Sure. Talk. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we can, mm, you know, maneuver that much more uh,
1: mm-hmm. according
0: to our approach, our values, our, mm-hmm. our process with untying rather than
1: cutting. Right. It's a yeah. nice tagline for a family mediator.
2: It is, yeah. If anyone doesn't have a tagline, yeah. please feel free to use that one. We have to look up to see Wait who... Wait a
1: li- minute. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. i thinking about yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. Right. though
2: It's <laughs> for you then, Tony.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I just got to find out who said it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, do a search and well, that's what then your magic find out. That's yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Marianne, you're a regular, periodic person here.
2: Mm-hmm. A Thank friend,
0: you. we call those people.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And so, you know, we appreciate our ongoing conversations and tonight we're going to have another one.
2: I yeah, I really appreciate coming back. Thanks for having me, Greg.
0: Tell us a little bit more about what you value and not value as a practitioner.
2: I think the thing that stands out the most for me is that uh, I value uh, that the understandings people reach in mediation actually work in the real world for them. I I don't value um, us sort of getting too caught up and too tied into the knots, I guess, of the conversation that, um, you know, lead us down pathways that maybe the the clients didn't want to go down or those weren't the best routes for them. I really value them working it out, trying to empower families to choose solutions that work for them. I I highly value that, and I try very hard um, in my mediations to remember that that's what I'm there to do, because I think a lot of of us have some good ideas in our heads, and and I'm trying to quiet that and allow them to come up with the ideas in the mediation room. I I really do value that.
0: I think it's fundamental that we learn that our approach is about the parties. It's not about us as the practitioner. We create the the space, the conditions, provide a process. It's them that provides the content.
2: Right, yeah.
0: And so it has to be about them, and we have to defer to them in terms of creating that content.
2: Right, absolutely. I think in, in training, when I in my previous life when I did training and, and when I get called in to do a little bit of um, assisting and speaking about OAFM, I, it comes back to me that the, um, the mantra that I try to repeat to myself is don't work too hard. As a mediator, if you're working too hard, you're not hearing the parties and, and the family's needs, so Don't work too hard.
1: I used to tell my students, if you're working harder than the Mm -hmm. patient or the client, Mm -hmm. you're working too hard. Yeah. yeah.
2: I
0: mean, people uh, that we engage with in terms of trying to assist, they've got a lot of, quote, chatter going on in their head
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and from their experiences to date. And I think they're looking for someone to assist them to help clarify some of that. So if we've got a lot of chatter in our heads, how helpful can we be to assist others who are going through a situation that they need our expertise or our skill sets?
2: Absolutely, I think being quiet is and being reflective even during the mediation can be quite beneficial. And I think it's something that, you know, I definitely strive to achieve. I think it's always a work in progress when when I'm mediating to try to remember that. But that's some, you know, when I when you ask me that question, that's the first thing that stands out is that that it works, it works for them. We're not going home with them. We can't tell them how great our idea was that Johnny takes swimming lessons on a Wednesday at 6 and then goes and has dinner. That's not going to work. When they go home, they have to have it working for them. Their little quirks and quarks of their family have to come first.
0: Yeah, you know, when they leave the process, they have to be creating a foundation that will be uh, sustainable for Mm -hmm. them in -hmm. their way. And so... It's hard for people as mediators, for example, to understand that we have to separate ourselves from the people. We can be connected at the same time. So what I mean by that is we're connected by empathy and compassion and care. At the same time, we're not taking responsibility or ownership of their decision-making.
2: That's a very good point. I think it's um, because I think, you know, all of us in this room are mediators and we're all brought to this because maybe our friends and our family relied on us for to be that calming voice and to have, you know, common sense and to really do very well in a crisis situation. And and that's actually that may be the maybe the core value that we bring, but it's definitely not the skill set that we need to bring to the room. We need to help them do you know what people recognize in us as being able to do, rather than do it for them, which is so tempting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, you know, working as a coach, and you see the the newer people when they start learning process, mm-hmm. it's very easy for people to take where what they've done in everyday life, and they want to fix it. Yeah. So when they do role plays,
3: yeah,
0: and they they have a sense of wow, it could be just if you only did this. <laughs> yeah. It would be done and over with. Yeah. And so it's them as the third party trying to impose in some way right. what they believe would work.
2: And I think, uh, you know, in the training capacity, I think when we see that, it's good to recognize that as a huge strength of the mediator and just pulling it back a little bit and helping them to see that that's, that's, it's good that they have it. It's your solid rock core of empathy and understanding, but you need to pull that back back from the mediation and help others do and think in different ways and increase their their options and expand their minds and stretch a little.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's about building capacity too. You're you're mm-hmm. acting as a teacher and a modeler in mm-hmm. in mediations where you're you're helping them build the capacity to listen to the other party right. the way you are <coughs> listening to the other party. Mm-hmm. And you're encouraging them and and pointing out when they are showing signs of building that capacity yeah, yeah. and saying, I noticed that you,
2: yeah,
1: you know, yeah. you didn't interrupt, yeah. and I really appreciate that, or, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. those kinds of the things. The teachable moments and yeah. the coaching moments, yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure.
0: So how do you keep yourself focused on working with people who are not necessarily in the best frame of mindset or lived experience emotionally?
2: You know, I think the... the best thing the best way to answer that is to be that like to show up like to turn up to be with that person wholly um to give over you know to not look at your phone to just to not be thinking about what groceries you need to buy at the end of the day but just to really be with there like just turn up be present i think and, and to let them know and to make it a welcoming environment for their emotions. Like this is, you know, we're asking them to do an extremely difficult, challenging task at one of the worst times of their lives. So our, our, our making space for that, making space to have all types of emotions and all ranges of emotions and making it okay and making it safe, I think that's the best way to deal with You know, whoever comes in the room, and it changes from moment to moment, from client to client, from hour to hour and day to day.
0: Yeah, basically, people are in a place of discomfort for themselves, going through a lot of difficulty, and they're going to still go through further difficulty. So how do you create the conditions for them to, quote, feel safe to be unsafe or in their unsafe place? Yeah. So that's a skill set. We're talking about untying the knot. How do you explain what you do? with people?
2: <laughs> That's a really big question. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not magic, right? It's it's not um, the people that come into the room, come into the room with the history that they, of the relationship, of their personalities, of their wants, desires, needs, their triggers. Um, so, I you know, I wouldn't call it, um, you know, anything close to magic, but it is somewhat expansive or transformative of thought where people can... Come into a room feeling really, um, you know, pretty sure of their position and pretty sure of what their interests and needs are. Even, and I'd like to think that I'm able to create a room for a conversation around looking expand. Like I always think, the that, that just expanding the mind, expanding the range of options, just to to shine light on things to think of things a different way to sh- be able to share emotions and just the hopes needs and dreams that are even the the lost hopes and dreams of the relationship that are in the room there with you i think mediation and what i do is about creating conversations that are extremely valuable hopefully some of the time so that we can come up with some solutions that help the family to move forward out of this place where they could get really stuck, right? I think that's um, one of the the fears and worries of most people is that they could get really stuck or they could get entrenched in uh, conflict and and, um, there's some systems in place that make it fairly easy to do that if you'd like to become entrenched, right?
0: Well, people tend to find a way to cope even when they're not comfortable with someone else in a, a relationship. They ideally would probably like to be in a better place, a different place. Right. Yet, you know, to travel to that different place would entail going through a place or a space that they're emotionally not feeling as prepared to go through. Right. You know, the fear of the unknown. Right. Is a real barrier for many of us.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's that letting go of the, the hopes and expectations that, that creates, I think, that, that barrier is like the, so many times families come in and one partner was ready to leave before the other one and something terrible may have happened or something not so terrible happened and, and I can talk about that later. Sometimes I think that's harder, but the, the idea is that they, they are so sort of stuck in the the sort of the crisis or the trauma of the separation that that can actually start to feel quite comforting um, during the process and and you you'll notice sometimes or at least I notice that near the end of the mediation something can flip out and be a problem again because you're going into now yet another unknown territory. Mm -hmm. I understood trauma, I understood loss of relationship. Now I understand mediation and working through with a professional or a team of professionals to help me, but I don't know what's beyond that. So I'd like to stay here where I at least felt some comfort and support.
0: Yeah, support especially. Yeah. So under what conditions do you find the most challenging when working with family mediation?
2: I think that if there's, um, like extreme, uh, high conflict, uh, personalities in the room, uh, I think that can be very hard. I mean, we've probably all had high conflict personality training with Bill Eddy and, you know, I, I, when I have to pull that book out and, and, and deal with things in that way. I think that's challenging for me. I, I do I sort of uh walk into rooms and wag my tail and think everyone else is going to say hi and, and be friendly and, and I, I'm quite optimistic and when I see something that's quite different than that I find it challenging professionally and I think that it's hard in the room for people, you know, because you can see some sort of uh really difficult um cruelty and I find that really hard.
1: It's hard to be neutral. Yeah. Under those circumstances.
2: Yeah, and and you know I think that you know the word neutrality and mediation. I I don't like we're human beings. Our hearts beat. We think you know we like Mm -hmm. you you like various things and you'll like different people in different ways at different times. And I think you know the way I help myself with neutrality is I say I'm I'm not actually neutral, but Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not vested in the outcome, right? I I'm not I I can't say that if someone says something horrific i can't say i'm neutral against uh, about that i i could have an opinion or a thought but it's separating that thought or opinion from the process is something that i work on
0: well even so as a neutral yeah they say third party neutral
2: yeah
0: i think it's a, a fallacy that we're neutral
3: mm-hmm.
0: because you know purposely we can have intent on not being taking one side or the other there are factors about us that do impact other people yeah. about how they perceive us as being neutral or not.
3: Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean the physicality as a white male who speaks English that's right. going to be processed by someone else
2: yeah.
0: and another person in a different way,
2: yeah.
3: and
0: that might impact how they perceive me.
2: Yeah, what where your privileges are, what what you're wearing on your on your name tag, but it's what how you move through society. I think that's uh, it, we do have to be aware of that as. Mediators for sure.
1: I guess what I meant was it's hard not to take sides when someone's being cruel and someone is is clearly suffering from that. Yeah. It's hard not to just kind of jump to that mm-hmm. other person's defense and
2: Yeah, and I think, I think when things, like when extreme cruelty happens and cruelty to children happens, cruelty to partners financially, emotionally, there, there's many types of, of cruelty that I've seen. You know, I think the, I think it actually, it's almost like a signal for us to even be better at, like to, to think, okay, this is, I'm being challenged here, I am, my heart is being sort of ripped out of our chest when you see some of these things, and you need to try to address the the issues and try to help the person get the best outcome they possibly can when they leave your office. It's not going to help that I feel empathy um, or sympathy for anyone. It's not going to help them live, and it's not going to help them get an outcome that works. That's what you have to focus on, right?
1: Well, sometimes it's even more important to be able to hear and empathize with the person who's being cruel because a lot of times those kinds of behaviors come out of someone feeling not heard or mm-hmm. their needs not being met, and mm-hmm. it's morphed into something really hideous. Yeah. And for someone to actually listen to them maybe for the first time
3: mm-hmm.
1: or, to, or to not react the way most people yeah. react to them and to just kind of go through a process that's different from how everyone else responds to that's them.
2: That's a very good point. Could be a little yeah. bit of
1: magic in the process because you know what? <laughs> I believe <laughs> there magic, is magic yeah, in yeah. the process. I
2: think there's magic, but we're not magicians. I think right. Just, yeah, it's not yeah. us
1: doing the magic. Yeah,
2: it's, them doing it's it. the. It's pr- the and yeah. it's the
1: process that yeah. that that sets the stage for magic to happen. I agree, hundred percent. Okay, yeah, I feel yeah. better now.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> Everyone likes <laughs> a little
1: magic. It's it, there's something magical, and I think it it helps for the parties. Mm-hmm. To have the idea that something magical could happen Could here. happen here, yeah. Yeah,
2: no, yeah. I think it's a, it's a good point. I think it's...
0: At the same time, you got to be realistic, too, right? Yeah. Because the individuals who are the parties to the process, they have the ownership of their decision-making. I mean, we have responsibility of facilitating, creating conditions. Then they have to feel they connect with those conditions to be able to go to a place within, mm-hmm. especially emotionally, especially in family. Yeah. That's about a lot of lived experiences that haven't gone well. Yes. And it's transitioning from relationships that haven't worked out as Mm -hmm. they may have hoped to now become something else. Right. So so what have you found is the possible effect on people when they're intimate relationships and...
2: I think it's it's a tragedy really. I mean, I think this is the and I think it's a tragedy for both people in like nobody ever has walked into my mediation office or I would gather anyone else's in in the world and said this is great. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so happy I'm disentangling from this person. You know, that's that's I would say that's very rare. And to 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 address that as a there's grief and loss in even if you've chosen to end the relationship, you've grieved that relationship, that end. It is not easy to make that decision. It is not easy for any person to say to someone else, it's, you know, it's, it's not me. It's not me. It's you. Uh, I, and, and I need to move on. And that takes a, a great deal of bravery. And I think that, um, you know, just recognizing the grief and the pain and the loss of both of all people involved is, Really, something we need to remember. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Especially, you know, again, it's not about us yeah. as the professional. It's about the individuals and how best we can support that person and those people at mm-hmm. this time, going through their circumstance to navigate to hopefully a place that they feel more clarity and definition, right, and more concrete decision making. Especially if they have children, and they have to continue yeah. onward.
2: Be In a different
0: formation of the yeah. relationship.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think that's really important to remember is that you're actually not there to end a relationship. You're there to help them start a new one and to navigate that. I think it's really important to uh, see that that that's actually uh, where the outcome you're looking for a continued relationship. So we've got to try to figure this out so that they can manage that because it's I can't even imagine charting those waters myself I would run screaming the other direction I, I always tell my husband that if he ever leaves me I'm going with him so I think <laughs>
0: I, I'm not sure I would work that out
2: yeah, uh, yeah but I, that's what's happening so I'm I'm uh, you know I I have at least I've, he knows you're committed he knows that yeah absolutely well if I if I've done something so wrong that he's leaving there's something wrong with me so I'm leaving too
0: <laughs> you may not be going in the same direction though
2: oh yes I am
0: okay so how clear is it to people that their relationship is in need of transitioning to separate separate, mm-hmm. and be separate right. from each other.
2: I think it depends on the the timing of the mediation and when I'm introduced to the family. If it's been a little while and say they've lived apart and they've had experience doing that, I think it's, it's pretty clear to them that they need to define their separate lives. If this is a, a newer separation or if there's a lot of trauma around the separation, then it can take longer for them to realize that they they actually don't have a, a say in the decision to separate, but they do have a decision a, like a, a input onto how they will separate. So that's a clear distinction that I try to work on with families who are getting a little stuck, right? Where um, you know, for example, a family that may um, think that you know because they the person has left that that person owes them an awful lot. Um, if they've uh, taken up with uh, you know, a new person right away, there could be a lot of guilt on that other person's behalf, and that drives them to do and say things that maybe they normally wouldn't um, in sort of a, a preservation of the, the partnership in some way. Uh, but it, it really, I think it depends. The answer to that question is it depends on where they are. And I think our role is as mediators trying to help find where they are and, and help them sort of identify like like here you are, you're 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 really hurt and you're you're still grieving this loss and, and you're thinking, why am I not gonna have medical benefits after the divorce? Like I I have, you know, medical bills of this amount and he left and, and now I'm all by myself and I don't want that. And that place that people get stuck is, is a common place, right? Where it's like I, I he may have left me, but he owes me now. Or she may have left me; but she owes me.
0: Or people try to use that as leverage in some way, in terms of negotiating.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it often falls on deaf ears, right? It's it's, uh, and I think that's one of the difficulties in mediation, where you know the the people can come in and really expect that. I'll use the magic word again, but they really expect something to be completely different. That the person who you know took up with the babysitter. And is having a baby with that person is in mediation going to be an upstanding citizen and provide them with, you know, well above the um, Family Law Act guidelines for support mm-hmm. um, and, and and also, you know, extra on top of that. And that, I find that hard, right? That's hard. to So they're not quite untangled yet.
1: I guess it's a, it's an affront to their sense of fairness justice. And, and justice. Yeah. It's, and when you feel... Like something is just so inherently yeah. unfair. It it is hard to let go of Yeah, that.
2: yeah. And there's some places in the Family Law Act that are very, I, I call them wonky because there's these weird spaces in the in the guidelines that you know a, a single mother of four children, you know, is left with not a lot of money. And uh, you know the the guidelines are striving to sort of get the incomes to, to around 50% of net disposable income across both homes, but you've got to dad or a mom with no kids and seeing them every Wednesday, and a mom struggling with four kids, doesn't look so equitable anymore, right? 50-50 doesn't,
1: it sort of doesn't compute. It's the difference between equality and equity. Yeah.
0: Well, it's never, quote, uh, equal. No. Because, you know, even the process is not necessarily equal. Though we try to provide a space for fairness in some way, and then who defines what fairness is? Yeah. Us? That's the third parties or the parties themselves, uh, maybe a combination. So,
2: I, I like to say my job is, uh, a, a, you know, I spend all day making f- people feel equally unco- uncomfortable <laughs> with the results, right? That's the, and sometimes that is that is the way I'm in, I we're in the business of making people, you know, moderately unhappy. Uh, because it's hard, right? You're taking a whole puzzle piece, a whole puzzle all together and you've got like, everyone's got needs are met and maybe even burgeoning a little bit outside because people's lines of credits are are higher and this family is just making it. And then we split it in two and we essentially buy a, a cottage, for example, and then everyone has less. And so you, you have to, like, I can't even imagine to recalibrate myself. And I try to put myself in their shoes to think this is, like, how hard would that be for us to do that tomorrow? Right? It's... But so uh, much stress.
1: But on the other hand, what happens so often is that it's not so much about the money and it's not so much about winning in areas like getting this much custody or this much of the property that being heard,
3: yeah.
1: being acknowledged, having an apology,
3: mm-hmm.
1: having just the intangibles. Make you make the other person feel better about the having loss. less,
2: yeah, yeah that probably is the magic piece, right That's the piece where you know you really are trying to repair and you're really trying to soothe the wound and and try to really help them to move on with dignity and and the, you know grace and that piece I think is you're absolutely right, joni it's it's it is not only about the money, we focus a lot on money and time and You know, chattels, but we are talking about bruised and broken hearts, and Mm -hmm. they're all connected.
0: Though the inherent inequities that exist in relationships that come to the forefront, even more pronounced when the relationship transitions from a couple to not being together, i.e., one is the breadwinner with all the financial means, and the other spouse, -spouse, ex-spouse, ex-partner, is m- has minimal ability financially. So the one can hire a lawyer, the other one cannot hire, quote a lawyer. Mm-hmm. There's a disparity that exists in the system, society, the process.
3: Right.
0: that factors into certain decision making. The person who doesn't have the financial means is going to make different kinds of decisions if they don't have that kind of ability yeah. to hire the best kind of
2: That's representation. True. And I think that's where mediation does provide an access to justice model for people to, you know, to know that in the courts in Ontario there is access to mediation on site and off site that, that can sort of level the playing field um, if, if people are agreeable to coming. It's a fantastic option and alternative for families to, to work it out and in, in a more neutral way.
0: So when people reach out to you mm-hmm. uh, as a family mediator, how organized are they? In engaging in the process, I mean, if their relationship has just ended, how connected are they, and their capacity to make informed decisions?
2: You know, I think I've I've had only one couple who sort of got separated really really quickly. Like it was like two days later, something awful happened. They were in my office, and it was it was astounding to me how organized they were. And I kept looking for things because I was like, what's going on and What I realized through the mediation was they were able to be that organized because they did grieve their relationship over the course of maybe the past 10 years. And then there was this awful incident that happened, a trauma, but it was so, um, it was really sort of incidental to the fact that they'd already grieved the loss. So they were ready. They were prepared. They knew what they wanted. They had, you know, their finances in order. They knew what they wanted with, you know, to do with the children. But I find that rather rare. I think the, the first parts of, of when someone contacts us for mediation, it could be a few months before we get into the process, just as we, and just to be patient and sort of still be there checking in. How are you doing? Um, and being ready when they're ready is um, sometimes I think we, I feel like we're might, we might be in their back pocket a little bit, and while they're kind of going through the grieving process.
0: I mean, we gotta, if people come to us, quote, too soon for them make concrete and substantive decisions that will most likely have a lasting impact right. on their family. How how fair are we being to them in terms of engaging them when they may not necessarily be as best connected to make those kinds of decisions?
2: I think that's a really good question, and if we see that, um, we can use bunny-hopping agreements. We can use interim agreements. We can use ways just to, to get through the next week. Um, it doesn't even have to be some, anything formal. It's like Okay, like this, it sounds like you're having a really difficult time. Like today's Sunday night. What's going to happen tomorrow morning? Like how are we going to break this down? And then working with them to gain their trust and to see when they're ready. I mean, it, it's, you, there's a surefire test of people not being ready is if you, you know, you go through, you do the whole, uh, agreement and then something comes flying back at you. Either they're, they haven't disen, disengaged enough or they weren't ready to make those decisions in the first place. So I think it's up to us to be really cautious and help people through those times.
1: And to be flexible, as you said. And you can use it the time more as a a kind of an information-gathering time or a time where they can start to maybe even understand each other a little bit better and... And get rid of some of the um, assumptions that are, maybe are not so accurate, mm-hmm. or and and then have some time to let that digest and and let them say, oh, I've thought all along that he was just ignoring me. When this is what the this problem line was, line, yeah. or and oh. then be able to kind of turn their minds t- to look at it in a different way. And sometimes that takes time, and it's it speaks to the skill of the mediator. To be able to recognize when that's happening and use that time for not to just stick to the process religiously, yeah. but just to say, okay, but we can use this time in a really valuable way.
2: Right, and and sometimes they could, you could come in with a family, they could come up with an option that actually is going to take more time. Like the, I had a, a lovely family who came up with the idea of renovating uh, an apartment in the house. So what that meant was there was more. Rental income, and and one of them could stay in the home, and the other one was okay to wait. They worked together on the renovation, and now they're ready to move forward in a way that makes sense for their family. If, if you steamrolled through that, that creative option that really worked is is kind of a cool thing that they're doing. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have had that
0: and really practical,
2: super practical. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: people may not always see the practicality of making certain decisions because they're caught up in this emotional turmoil. Right. And so as a third person in that yeah. we can we're detached from yeah. you know the they need to make the decisions because it's not about our lives right. and sort of help them to navigate to a place that they yeah. can try to make these practical decisions.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think it's neat. I think that's being patient I think is one of the best qualities of a mediator for sure.
0: So when people have entwined their lives to be so connected and committed yeah. as a couple and then it transitions to being separates
3: mm-hmm.
0: to, uh, where they need to make concrete decisions on child support, yeah. parenting plans, etc. And they're so affected by matters. You know, how, how do you support people to transition into that kind of process?
2: I, I think that's a really good question, and it comes up a lot. And I use a variety of techniques to help people shift. There's one... Um, Kenneth Cloak had uh, the divorce vows. Have either of you seen the divorce vows, Kenneth Cloak? And it's it's about divorce vows to your children. Uh, that those are if parents work on those together, that can be a really nice way of yeah sort of crystallizing. And then there's another exercise with where you talk to the the people about what like what they'd like to say to each other. Like you know there there can be a closing exercise. There can be a, a way to to help them sort of have some, because when do you know your relationship's over when you're married? Like, how do you, like, so
0: who identifies that? Yeah, and who how identifies, do you, yeah. Ha, what step do you take
1: to, yeah? It's and a ritual, it's the magic of ritual,
2: right? The, and some, and you can offer that in mediation. There's some. Kenneth Cloak does have two really good resources on that. One way to, to, like, what to say to each other, how to set up buying a gift for each other of an agreed-upon value, sitting in a room and saying what was really great about the other person, Mm -hmm. what you valued. It it can be really sort of um, healing, I think, for people when they're able to do that. And often people will say, you know, this feels like therapy or, you know, and I I say it's support. This is supportive mediation. You're a family going through a trauma you didn't experience, you know, you, you didn't expect and no one should have to go through that you know, alone and with if you're stuck, I'll help you. We'll help you find a way to get through this. And that's I think one of the that's probably a magical thing. Well, Joni has uh, got the magic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm stuck on the magic. Yeah. yeah. My ex husband and I uh decided to separate uh a week before our eighth anniversary. Mm. And what we decided to do was still to go to the restaurant that we always went to for our anniversary and celebrate our marriage.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's okay.
1: And it was it was a really good kind of way of saying, hey, this is just the closing of a chapter.
2: I, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I, I and I, you, I, I'm jumping all over Joni because no, I I love. Um, I, when I started my role as a mediator, I was super romantic and thought this was really sad, right? And I, obviously, I've been married to my husband for 29 years. And so I, I had a lot vested in marriage. I thought marriage is a really good institution. It's great. It's, the, you know, it's sort of a be-all and end-all. But what I've learned from my families is that so many marriages are just meant to be these beautiful beginning, middle, and ends. And that this isn't... I mean, it's, there's tragic loss and there's, there's resolution and untanglement, and all of these pieces, but you can see the beauty of their beginning, mm. their middle and, and upon reflection potentially in the end. But that's, I really have shifted my thinking around that.
1: Well, we live so much longer these days. Mm-hmm. It used to be when, when marriage you know started as a thing people lived till 45 so you didn't have to right, really yeah. get along for that long <laughs> <laughs> you right. know yeah. and now we're living so much longer right it's almost kind of unrealistic to to expect people to to stay together and be happy for that long yeah.
0: mhm there's more to that story the realities of uh, factors that people go through as part of many lived experiences: mental health, personality, violence, abuse, and culture. How does that impact, you know, decision making, family mediation, and people transitioning from relationship to a different formation of it?
2: I think, um, it, all of those pieces absolutely factor into what's going to happen in the mediation room. And it's, it's, it's for us to sort of identify what's there with us, right? Like, is there a cultural aspect to this separation? And I think in our screening interviews, we are looking for, you know, the, like, what's, like, what's, who's around this person? What's the family history? You know, is this even, Even culturally within a family, if this is the first person that's got divorced, Mm
3: -hmm. and no matter
2: what background they're from, it could culturally be quite shocking to that family that, you know, Joe and Jane are getting separated and and they.
0: We just don't do that in our family. We just don't do that in
2: our family. And and it could, so I think we're always looking for not only what we see as the cultural background, maybe where we were, where the family would have been Born and raised, or raised in a culture of of a country that is familiar to them, but the culture, like the acceptance of various lifestyle choices, of of like everything, right? Like you have to sort of think, what's happening? Like where? How was your drive here when you got here? Who was talking to you as if as if this was a terrible thing you were doing, or or who was encouraging you? Because um, one family uh, that I, I met very very early on, it was. The, the relationship seemed really good and and this was a sister of, of uh, there was four sisters she was the fourth one and she was the only one not divorced so it was culturally appropriate for her to divorce. And there was not a lot of trauma. You're in like, the relationship
3: what took you so long. <laughs> yeah, they were all,
2: yeah, so it was that, that, there's all sorts of things that we're looking for. And, and you know, it is our job to try to unearth those things and to know what's going on. Um, and to, to sort of follow the drop threads and really be good listeners and, and just see where the people are at and, any any time you have an additional factor such as you know even current um violence past violence something where you know that you know there's sort of key indications that that you're really going to have to work a little harder in some areas then you can go go deeper and those are sort of the obvious ones i sort of wanted to point out the the -hmm. less obvious Mm -hmm. ones right where it's cultures all around us in so many ways
0: so, what have you changed about your own approach and your uh, as a professional and working with uh people when they try to untangle their intimate relationships have you you know you transitioned from when you first started to now how you practice
2: I think the um I take less ownership for helping them untie the knot right I think that I recognize that as their work when I talked earlier about wanting to like be there and dive in like i you know, I am the kind of person who will give myself to whoever I'm speaking with and the what I've learned to do is pull back a little bit on that and allow them the space to work and and to see each other for who they are. The you know, one thing I've been working at more recently is trying to to, to sort of ask the person to evaluate what's going on. Ask them to, you know, say you know this is you've known this person for 20 years you know is this in keeping with his or her behavior you know did he had get did he get knocked on the head or is this something that happened all you know
0: it's been going progressively it's been going on, along you know.
2: yeah so and and sort of helping people be less surprised by that i guess
0: so how do you find people learn to realize or not that they are now no longer intimates yet remain lifelong connected as co-parents mm.
2: I think if they have kids, that's an easier one, right, where you can talk about um, the, the the most common example is dancing together at your children's weddings, right, or, or celebrating the birth of a first grandchild, like getting them to um, not think of the immediate now, but getting their brain to sort of connect to something in the future, which is does a lot for the brain to help it um, stay out of the trauma centers, right? And can, if you can think future focus, that can help the person to move forward. Uh, so I would say that's very helpful. If they don't have children, it's a mm-hmm. little harder, right? It's that, you know, there may not be a future relationship. Or maybe, you know, maybe you've talked to them and they do want to be friends. Like maybe there is something where, you know, you know, you've both told me that you're interested. I mean, it, you came together, you had a ton of fun. Like you both had a great time. And, you know, living together just isn't working, but having fun is okay.
0: Or, you know, when the relationship ends, and you really had a solid relationship with the mother-in-law the father-in-law right and th- now you're no longer quote are you supposed to be part of that mm-hmm. connection in any way mm-hmm. and if there's a uh, an event do you attend or not
1: yeah 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 you want
0: to say anything to that
1: Matt? no no i was just i was actually just thinking about my own situation where mm-hmm. I was very close with my ex-husband's family, oh,
3: yeah.
1: and I stayed close to them and, until my, my ex remarried, and then um, efforts were made to make me not so close. But then when his mother became very ill and was dying, she had a little chat with him, and um made sure that that when she passed away that uh it was recognized that I was her daughter in law forever, were. regardless Aww. of yeah. whatever daughter in laws came after yeah. Yeah. that that was that was family. That, was family, yeah. that yeah. I was still family. Yeah. And it was a distinction that I made with my ex husband. I said, you know, we're not married anymore but we're still family. Yeah. You're still my family.
2: Well, the, you're, you're, if, if you have children, it's easier because yeah. that, that child's family is you, right? And, the, and it will always be the two of you. So, and no one else in this world is ever going to fight as hard or risk their life or throw themselves on the line for that child other than you and your partner, right? So that makes you a family. That binds you. No. I can see it still affects you deeply, right? Yeah. This, this, this loss, and I think the in mediation, we do work with families to bring them together to try to to say, you know what, you can sometimes pe- parents and in laws think they need permission to still talk to you, and and how how many times that's come up in mediations, it's I, I can't count. Right, it's 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 a very key piece because you do get so close, right? And well,
1: then well, then again, and then things can change because yeah. we had a di- a divorce for ten years that looked nothing like how it looked after yeah. he remarried.
0: Yeah. So, so what do you hope people, as professionals, hearing our conversation tonight, can learn from it?
2: I think to sort of get out of the way but show up, right? Like like we need to we need to give space. We need to uh, create room for people to take ownership and responsibility for their relationships for the disentangling that they're going to do and to be present with them to to and and I think that's a really fine and difficult dance for us for a lot of us to do and I think that but that to me is the one big thing that stands out you know as I get you know more experience in mediation I think that's something I need to keep focusing and working on for me so
0: do I'll we guide it. people or do we lead people that's uh, that's an open-ended question, and you don't necessarily have to have the answer, yet I or think people else. struggle with us with mm-hmm. this. Like, do we bring people down the path, or do they follow us down the path? To what What is the, the well, nature it, of
2: what's it? What's the uh, prepare the child for the path and not the path for the child? I'd like to say that that's what we do in mediation, right, that we, we help prepare them for the path that they're going to be on, mm-hmm. um, and we follow them wherever they go, left, right, circular,
0: yeah, we. Up we're, down. That's the assisting and supporting nature yeah. that some of us, you know, encourage as part of our practice.
2: Right.
1: Absolutely. And we do different things at different times.
0: In different ways. In different. And ways. that's the richest also of the practice, and practicing in diversity. So we gotta say good night. Oh. Thanks very much.
2: Thank you. That's so fast. Yeah. yeah what a, a great conversation. conversation yes, man? Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Thank, thank you appreciate Gary, Thank you. You, Joni. Great to
0: be back. So we'll have another visit and we'll talk about something else next time. Absolutely. Thanks to the two of you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610
3: AM.